Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. It's so nice to have you here. We talked about doing this for a while, and uh, and here we are. It's happening. And uh, it's special for me because I find you guys very interesting. I mean, I don't know uh, other developers that have done what you guys do in so many different countries, and uh, uh, it's very European. It's very international, and it's very interesting to me. And also, we're working together on a project in the West, which I'm very excited about. I've been telling everybody who will listen that it is exactly the kind of project to help pull our market out of the flat spot that it's in. You know, it's been six months of a down market and uh, very affordable homes, many, many homes under 500,000 in a city like New Westminster with all of its SkyTrain stations and all of its upside and its appeal to the post-COVID world of, I'm looking for some more space. I want to move out of Vancouver, get an extra bedroom, move in with my girlfriend. Maybe we're going to have a kid. All these type of reasons uh, make New West such an appealing place to live. So welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Adele, Hamid, um, tell me uh, about you guys. How did you originally meet each other? Hmm. Even before you started to work together? And I let Adele... Tell this story. He's a better storyteller. Yeah, well, it's um, it's the kind of thing that if you're if you're looking for it to happen, it doesn't. I had been with a international company for almost twenty years, working in many several countries on large construction and development project, complex projects. I had never done much below hundred million dollars, and um, came to Vancouver. We started our business here. And uh, it went really well. We did major projects, east and west, Callaway Airport, $400 million, uh, uh, RCMP headquarters for the West Coast, $400 million, and, and really complex project in the sense that they were design, build, finance, so the whole development value chain. And um, well, after almost 20 years, it was time to look for something else. And um, so I... Um, they offered me to relocate, and Canada is my seventh country, so uh, I felt it was time to uh, plant some roots and uh, with a young family and living on the North Shore. Um, and so I quit. Uh, best decision I ever made. I quit without knowing what I was going to do. Wow, that's scary. Yeah. And so I go to a charity event and meet Hamid. Who I had met actually what four or five years earlier. Um, I was a guest lecturer at the MBA of UBC on uh, public private partnerships, and uh, he at that time was doing a part time MBA. And uh, I need to be careful not to turn because I've been told that this is not sound. <clears throat> so I meet him again at this charity event. He says, Hey, Adele, how are you? Uh, I remembered from meeting him back then, he had come after the lecture and we had had coffee and thinking, what a smart guy. I'd love to do something uh, with him one day. And so um, what happened is uh, I meet him again and he says, what are you doing? And I said, gardening and figuring out what I want to do next. <laughs> and he said, um, uh, well, would you like to look into some real estate? And I, I thought of it as something I might do as a, as a personal investment, you know, on the side. And within six months, it was just clear that it was a match made in heaven. Like we were, Hamid is one of the most brilliant guys I've ever met. He's uh, has an MBA, but he's also a civil engineer. He's also a chartered accountant, and he's never had a job in his life. <laughs> and congratulations! Uh, yeah, I, I I remember asking, why do you have so many you know degrees when you know if you've never looked for a job? And he said. Uh, he said, well, in my family, they like degrees. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And so, but more impressively, a uh, real grassroots entrepreneur in residential real estate from the very beginning. And so we kind of came from the two ends of the spectrum. He was doing kind of medium-sized, you know, uh, real estate projects uh, at several partnerships, several projects under his belt. And and I had only done really large projects, very complex hospitals, airports, you know. And um, yeah, we just kind of met in the middle and it just worked out fantastically. Uh, you know, we were co very complimentary. And that's kind of the functional aspect of our relationship. But um, the much more important one is um, the friendship, uh, the trust, and uh, you know, how we feel we're growing together as individuals. How we're learning from each other, 
We're very different. And um, usually we don't imagine that making really a good match. In this case, it was quite the opposite. Like both having some ability to put our ego aside and explore those differences as something actually as an opportunity to learn and to grow. So, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I think opposites attract and can be complementary. Um, my wife and I are quite different, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, but it, it works for us. We have, I think, a foundation of things that we, you know, common interests, um, certainly, and things we like to do and things we love about each other, but the differences are cool as well. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's energetic. You know, some people get energy from certain things and for other people, that same thing drains their energy. And when those two things can complement, I'm imagining the, uh, that you're a very details oriented person because you're a CPA and, you know, very intelligent. Is that true? That's and exactly opposite. Is it? Adele is the theory. Adele is details. Yeah. And uh, I'm more of a generalist. So I always look at opportunities. I, I try to understand what are the relationships between the, the elements that create value. And then we analyze it together. But he's the detailed guy. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's a funny thing. I mean, we both are civil engineers and both have a degree in business. And I think both probably um, never wanted to become specialists. But yeah, my background led me to, you know, do a lot of, you know, have to be very rigorous, you know, on, on highly sensitive top security projects or healthcare projects or things like that, where details can be a matter of life and death. And so that's probably trained me to pay attention to, you know, things that um, that can go sideways and uh, and try to plan for those. Uh, Hamid brings the energy of like a true entrepreneur of always having new visions, new ideas, uh, always being, you know, on the uh, sort of on the lookout for new opportunities. And uh, yeah, so it, it complements each other really, really well. He kind of feeds me also when it comes to relationships. Uh, he's a natural born networker. He loves to, you know, meet people. He's a great listener. Whereas I, you know, I'm, I, I need to be dragged into a new relationship. I usually, I like conversations. I'm the talker in the, in the team, but, uh, but I'm not going to necessarily going to lo go look for, for someone, for someone new in my circle. So he's the one who's constantly expanding my circle with new and interesting people. And I'm very grateful for that. That is so complimentary. Yeah. I mean, the world is is about who you know and networking, and that's that's huge. Mm. Um, so, what countries were you in before when you uh, you mentioned this was the seventh? What were the other six? So, where were you born? Let, let me let me start with the fact that Canada is now. I, I'm now a Canadian citizen, and very very proud and happy. Um, and and interestingly, so this is my seventh country, but this is the first country where, from almost day one, I felt at home immediately. It was the first country. We're, we're both immigrants, um, and um, I've been in Canada for almost 15 years now. And um, and strangely enough, it was the first time I felt at home. So um, I, I was born in the Netherlands. Uh, I grew up in Germany and Austria and Morocco. I studied in France. Uh, I worked, I was in my previous work life, I was covering Latin America for a large international development company and based in Mexico. And that's where I met my wife. Um, so I got two kids, two girls, um, Maya and Alia, 11 and 14. And um, they both have four citizenships. So oh, they're man. Mexican, Moroccan, Canadian, and French. So, wow. Yeah. I didn't know you could have four. Well, none of these countries seems to object to you having yeah. more than one. So yeah. it's just a happenstance. Yeah. 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 Cool. And I, I'm very happy about that because I feel that they're, uh, a, to some extent, the an image of, of the future of humanity. Yeah. Which where basically people will eventually understand that the world is one country and mankind are all its citizens. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And if, you know, heaven forbid anything really bad happened to the world, that would become really clear really quickly, right? Indeed. Indeed. And um, so did you just live in those countries or did you do development work in those countries too? I worked on the, 
a number of uh, real estate projects in um, in Latin America, um, a lot of um, resorts, hotel projects, but I also worked a lot on, and, and I'm very fortunate in having that kind of diverse experience in this field. I also worked on projects such as highways and ports and airports. And uh, the interesting part of that is you, you get to see how, how those infrastructure projects get actually done. Like it takes usually decades. Wow. Um, and so being uh, involved, um, you know, in those processes in the last five to 10 years of those processes was extremely, extremely interesting. What's, uh, what's involved in developing an airport? <laughs> well, you know, in our case, again, uh, I, I was project director of the Callaway Airport. Um, and um, that's a project that's two degrees south of the Arctic Circle. So that's a very special place, you know, yeah. to build something. But it's even more special if the kind of contract you're getting into is one where you're going to guarantee 30 years of structural integrity of the building when you built it on permafrost and when you're in the midst of uh, the climate change effects that we see. And I can tell you, if you go to Iqaluit and Nunavut, Nobody there denies the effects of uh, of climate change. Like really, they're very oh, they're very obvious. The permafrost, which is basically a layer of um, of ice, which kind of varies, you know, depending on the seasons. Like when it's hot in the summer, it shrinks, and then when it's cold in the winter, it grows again. Uh, the thing is, it shrinks more and more, and it grows less and less. So this is an airport we had to build on a refrigerated slab in order to basically uh, make sure that that slab is going to stay as it is for the same size for decades. Yeah, really? Exactly. Yeah. So very interesting. So it's basically building a kind of refrigerator underneath the airport. That is bizarre. That's yeah, very, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Are you running coils? Yeah. Like Exactly. That's exactly that. what you're doing. Yeah. You're running coils. The other thing that's amazing about that place is you got less than two months of access by ship. So you better not forget any of the materials that you need to build uh, because otherwise you'll have to bring them in by plane and those would be very expensive nails or screws, you know, if you had to bring that stuff by. So, and there's many, many, many other really interesting. Also, obviously the contact with the, with the Inuit people was very interesting. Um, uh, this is now you know, a place that's governed by the Inuit people. So our client was the uh, Nunavut government. And, um, and and that changes also the dynamic of, of how, how to do business. And it was, was a fantastic learning process, very enriching. Yeah, sounds, sounds very interesting. Yeah. Not, not, not necessarily very relevant to what we're doing now in, at Areva Living, but, uh, but, but still, I think, you know, you, you, you carry all, all your experiences end up finding some place in you know what we're in what we're doing right now yeah so, yeah totally yeah. i mean wood frame condos in the west are easy to sell but they're not interesting i mean not compared with uh, a frozen tarmac in an airport so i i i beg to differ on that how? oh yeah i would definitely disagree on that yeah no now it depends on how you go about developing i think residential projects um, when Hamid and I started our partnership, really the central idea was there's many ways of making a living and of making money. And you see a lot of people being very successful, but not necessarily being very happy about their life. And so we really wanted to have a good life and to have a happy life. Like our partnership was first a lifestyle choice. And um, when we sat together and, and envisaged, you know, creating this company together, we thought about what our you know top priorities would be and and it was very clear that our family was very important to us we both have young kids we wanted to be present we didn't want to be successful but then have kids that don't want to talk to us anymore or spend time with us so that that was really important we wanted to be able to sleep well which means that we would eliminate any kind of speculative behavior or any kind of quick money, you know, uh, thing. So like if you want to sleep well, do things that make sense over the long term, be able to be patient, 
don't outrun your money, don't outrun your people, don't, don't outrun your energy. And the third thing was what we were going to do needed to be deeply meaningful to us. And that meaning is found in just reflecting on the fact that we're building homes for people. We're building homes for actual people and people very much like us. People who, you know, do the dishes, do the laundry, have their kids, go to bring them to school, have play dates, have birthdays. That's the life that we're living right now. And so we really focused very hard in putting that knowledge, that kind of connection to how important it is to be at peace and comfortable in a, in a good neighborhood, in a good environment, with a good community, with friends and good neighbors. You know, we try to put that into every single one of our projects. And the reason this was so important is, you know, real estate development, for those who really know what it consists of, it's not for the faint of heart. Very long timelines, lots of complications, lots of hurdles, uh, lots of risks. And so unless you have that deep meaning, that deep purpose that sustains you, it's very easy to get disheartened, to lose your way, or to go for quick fixes, to cut corners. And, and those are things that we vowed, you know, we would, we would never do. Now, another thing, again, back to like how real estate, residential real estate is actually far more complex than a lot of people realize, just to give you an idea. At the design stage, like before you even get to construction, you have about 50 different companies involved for years. We're talking about hundreds of people that spend hours and hours, and those are people with their own personal joys and challenges with, you know, people passing away and people getting married and people leaving and et cetera. So we see our projects as this point of gathering of, of unity where a lot of people have to be able to cooperate efficiently, kindly, over long periods of time, get along for a project like that to even get off the ground, you know, eventually. And so, yeah, I, it's, it's very humbling. It's, uh, like, uh, you know, it, it always reminds me that uh, our projects are much bigger than us two, really, much. We're, we're kind of the ones who are maintaining the machine, putting oil, you know, in the cogs, you know, getting people to work together, trying to create harmony, trying to create common values, you know, uh, around the, around the project. But it's a huge team. It's a, it's a very, it's a very large. And then once you get into construction, you still have those same companies and yeah. then you add, you know, another 30 trades, you know, to that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a very big endeavor and it's, it's, you know, usually nowadays it's something that takes anywhere between five and five and 10 years, uh, you know, to, to bring about a residential project. So, and how is uh, Tricor involved? That's a name uh, that people recognize. Right. So Tricor Pacific Capital, um, whose president is Rod Senft, is uh, the third partner in Arriva. Um, so we had that first magical encounter, this match made in heaven, where after six months of looking at small projects, suddenly it was very clear that this was going to be much bigger and that we might want to dedicate, you know, the next 30, 40 years of our professional life to this. But very quickly, we grew to a point where we needed another partner to be able to sustain that growth. And we started, um, we started meeting people. And um, when we met Rod, I think from the first meeting, it was very clear that, um, you know, this was the person we wanted to work with. And, uh, and I, I, I think he felt the same. We just found this magical alignment on on all our values uh, right right away, uh, and and this uh, enthusiasm, this passion about building something meaningful, something uh, something that that has purpose, and something that our kids. That's another motto of Arriva Living. We want to do things that our kids can be proud of. Like if our kids were able retrospectively to see every single business decision we made in our business, we want there to be nothing that we would be ashamed of. And, uh, and that's exactly the spirit in which Rod operates very successfully. Uh, Rod, Rod is, uh, has, has quite a bit more experience than we do. And, um, and he, has a, he has a wonderful track record. 
And I think, you know, if I wanted to find a single, like the, the, probably the most prominent reason for his success, it's certainly uh, his incredible human quality, his ability to uh, work harmoniously with people, to align his interests with people, and also to look at the human component of the people he partners with. Uh, Rod always says, I, I want my partners to be happy because if my partners are happy, I'm happy. And, and, and that's how we feel as well. And so suddenly it's not about me, me, me. It's, it's really about the collective. And, and it's always about eventually who is going to live in those projects. Because if we lose sight of that, then, you know, there's, there's nothing left really. Yeah. yeah. Partnerships, a lot of people struggle with them. I mean, yours seems obviously incredibly good and it sounds great with uh, Tricor, with Rod. What have you figured out about, uh, I mean, beyond making sure that your partner is happy, do you have any learnings that you want to share with, uh, you know, what works for you guys or, or, or um, what makes you feel aligned or even what doesn't work? What makes a successful partnership? I think emotional trust is probably one of the most important aspects of it. Emotional trust. trust yeah. Yes. That, that would, that would come number one. Yeah. You yeah. say trust or emotional trust? Emotional. emotional trust. Tell me about that. Well, emotional trust is that you know that the person you're with has your best interest in mind. And so what happens when you have that? It doesn't matter how bad a problem is that you encounter along the way you're always going to focus your energies on the problem instead of focusing your energy on each other. Right? Yeah. Which is what kind of pulls people apart. Yeah. But for that, you need to feel confident. Yeah. And, uh, in addition to that, I think when somebody comes to a meeting that Adele and I are debating about something, like we are trying to find out what the truth is about the subject or make a decision, like people see it as sometimes like we really go at each other with, with full force, with the arguments, and we try to challenge each other to come to, to the best outcome. And usually people see it as an attack to their ego because you don't want to be seen to be undermined by someone else. But in our partnership, it's all about like finding the common ground and finding the truth. And that's like the feeling at the end of the conversation is great because at the end you make a decision, everybody's on board, everybody sees why we made that decision. And there is a unity in the team, which yeah. is the most important aspect of our business. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Unity, unity is probably the the most important the most important thing because you see, you can be wrong, you can make collectively a wrong decision, but if you're united, you'll find out that you made a wrong decision, and you're still all together, and you can rectify it together. If everyone is focused on I'm right, I'm right, well, yeah, okay, the risk is you're going to be right alone. And there's nothing really in this world, there's nothing meaningful that we can achieve just by ourselves, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so unity is, is, is really important. And you see, that's why one thing we try to avoid really at all costs is negotiations. Um, we've never had a negotiation between ourselves as partners or with Rod. Uh, and we try to work with people with whom we don't need to negotiate because that's already a sign of the potential for a great partnership. Now, how you do that is just by trying actually to put yourself into the shoes of the other and come up with a proposition that you think is really fair and takes into account the very specific interests uh, and, and priorities for that person. And, and sometimes you find common ground, sometimes you don't. But... As opposed to basically each one pulling, you know, on the other end of the rope and then, you know, you just see where the buck lands eventually, which always can leave, you know, someone with with hurt feelings or and so 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 that the other thing that's important, I think, in a partnership is is brutal honesty, is being able not to let anything fester, right? And and by the way, the principles that work for a great partnership are probably the same that work for any kind of relationship. Um, so yeah, we're humans in all situations. I agree. I think the relationship between employers and staff is changing, you know, and I think it's changed a lot with COVID and um, it's starting to feel like a partnership. You know, it, it really is more than ever in my experience. You know, it, there is... Um, there's just so much change that's happened. You know, there's so much uh, trust required because people aren't 
necessarily working together in the same space as much as, as they are. There's, there's other things coming up like, um, um, mental health, which, you know, a broken leg is easy to see, uh, mental health issue is not, uh, but has to be, you know, carefully considered by an employer. Uh, yeah, there's so much, uh, that I think looking at that relationship with, with staff or with your greater team as partnership is, is a good way to look at it. What you're saying totally resonates. Um, one of our company values is called speed of trust based on a book. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of it. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, but the speed aspect, you talk about emotional, the speed aspect refers for those of, uh, that are listening that don't know, refers to the efficiency that comes in a high trust environment, like in a high trust team where there's no second guessing. There's no wondering, is that person like disagreeing with me, just trying to make me look bad or do they really think what they're saying? You know, there's none of that stuff, right? It's, it's a high, high performance team. And the opposite is unfortunately also true when that trust is, is low, then come creeps in the doubt you know, the double checking, the following up, the wondering, the, the angling, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's critical to, it's a critical factor in our team's success for sure. We have that in common pretty close. Yeah. And I can see that in your team cam. I think like, uh, the way your team operates, you see that they are really working together as a team and they are very happy in what they are doing, which is, which is interesting. I think we observe that a lot. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah. Uh, that results also in people that take ownership. You know, I, I remember that. I remember that, like from my my previous job, I uh, I was an employee, uh, but I, I I felt it was my company, uh, yeah. and 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 I I felt that that's really what allowed me to get to do all the things I was to know, be essentially successful. exactly yeah. I was able to do because it was really my business. Yeah. yeah, and I remember feeling the same way too. Yeah, I have a question for you, Adele. So yeah. With your former company, uh, I remember you were talking about the environment of high diligence and always the employees were being challenged and so on. Um, how did this emotional trust got built up in that company? Because it, hmm. it was you or it was the company that made that? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I think it's a good question. And I, you know, I, I was... It's only once I left that company that I actually realized a number of things that I could improve in my work environment. Um, you know, large companies, you know, have um, inevitably, um, you know, politics, you know, and, and, and that was one of the things I, I didn't enjoy so much. And, and that's why, as, as a team, we, we try to work as much as possible with a virtual platform of self-motivated entrepreneur partners, um, as opposed to, you know, the, the standard model of just growing and having 200 employees and, and et cetera. So we, we, we try to kind of reinvent that kind of standard model in our, in our business from, from the get-go, because we thought we don't want to end up being the owners of a company and we're basically 50% of our work is human resources, troubleshooting, relationship issues, and, you know, and, uh, and, and, and politics. And uh, so that's definitely something I think that we created and I, that I discovered was possible, you know, in our partnership. But um, no, otherwise that, that, that company was a very traditional company in, in, in the sense that you had to be ambitious. You had to fight hard. You had to show what you were doing. You had to, you know, have uh, a lot of, you know, communication skills, and 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 you needed in some capacity to be part of the politics. Well, at least that's what it made you feel. You know, if you wanted to get ahead, and and I'm 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 very happy that we're creating an environment today where that's not necessary. You know, you can be who you are. We, we want to work with people who are our friends and virtually everyone we work with right now are people that, that we consider, that we consider friends just because, you know, that kind of separation that we have traditionally in our modern societies of, well, I'm that person at work and I'm that person at home and I'm that person in my community. It creates a fragmented mind where you keep always having to deal with conflicts between, well, if I want to be successful, I need to spend a lot of time on my work. If I want to be a good father, I need to spend a lot of time, you know, with my kids. If I want to have a good social life, I need to spend a lot of time with my friends and my community. And it's it's unbearable to have to deal with those conflicts all the time. So, 
A different way of looking at it is to consider all of that. You're the same person in all of those. You wouldn't behave differently with your kids than you would with a contractor, a provider. And that makes it very simple because you can be you all the time. You don't have to wear a different hat or a different mask, you know, in every single situation. What that means as well is unless you think it's normal to be cynical with your kids, which, you know, I think most people don't think so. That means like, okay, well, if you're going to live an integrated way, life, then, then that means you're not, you're going to try not to be cynical about anything at all. And, um, well, that means you need to choose carefully who you want to work with. And, and so far it's been, it's been amazing. Like we work with people where things inevitably go sideways. As Rod always says, you know, business is like painting a moving bus. You know, you start out thinking you're going to do one thing. <laughs> And like, and we see that in all the big success stories of big businesses, you know, like Amazon was supposed to be a book sales business, right? Like, and, and I could go on, like Netflix was renting video cassettes, you know, and then you could go on and on like this. So true entrepreneurship is, the, you know, the pursuit of opportunity, whatever the opportunity is that is in front of you, uh, uh, without regard for what resources you control and, and without regard for what your initial idea was. It's really, you, you have to adapt. Now, if you have to adapt all the time, how do you do that without losing your way? And, and we found that, you know, the way we solve that or answer that question is by always reminding ourselves of what our central values are. What's our purpose? How do we want to do business? And, and that leads us to some choices sometimes not to do something that could be very profitable or... Um, or not to work with someone who brings us maybe a great opportunities, but where we're not, you know, entirely comfortable with, uh, you know, what comes with that relationship. So that's cool. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just critical to success, right? I mean, things are going to change and obstacles are going to come up and your ability to power through them is, uh, is absolutely critical. I heard what you said about like the unity of the team too. And I think that's, uh, I don't know if you guys have formal values in your company or your team, but, uh, that sounds like it would be one of them. Um, and it is critical. I've often Definitely. been involved in the strategy of many residential projects and, um, and people have asked over the years about strategy and about how I can choose the right strategy, you know, over and over or quite often or whatever. And the, truth of the matter is that there is no one right strategy. It has a lot more to do with unity. Actually, it has to do with there is there's a whole bunch of great strategies within a, a reasonable range of options. Um, and frankly, any of those will work as long as you can get everybody in the room moving in the same direction. If and you call it unity, which is the same thing, right? If you can get everybody bought in and executing really well and bought into the decision together and no naysayers and all that kind of thing, then then any of those strategies within that range can be very successful. Yeah. You know, sometimes a decision has to be made. Uh, you can't, you know, analyze something eternally, otherwise you get into analysis paralysis. But we do have a constant objective in achieving consensus with all the people we work with. I agree. And it requires a mindset the mindset of consultation, which is a mindset in which you consider that you don't own the truth, that nobody owns the truth. Each one comes with his diversity, his particular angle on reality. And when those different angles, when you, when you create a, a setting of trust in which people can actually express their true angle, when all of those angles come together, you get like a hologram. Suddenly you see, you know, you see things in 3D, you, you, you have a better view of, of what things are. And there's no shortage of examples on things like Hamid and I have not made a single decision so far since we've been partners for the last seven, eight years now, in which we had, uh, we had a disagreement. We've agreed on every single decision we've made so far, which is, I look back and I say, that's unbelievable. Like how, and, and it's because we were, had that patience and that trust to really listen to each other, understand where the other one was coming from. And, and then eventually it just happens that you end up seeing, okay, well, this really is what makes the most sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But it requires some kind of faith in, in, in that process and mm -hmm. commitment, you know, to that process. You yeah. Know? We always use the word alignment. 
So anything we do, we, we want to have alignment with our values, with the team, with the stakeholders, with everybody. Sometimes when we are talking to a municipality, talking about setbacks, the material on the facade, we know that the way they are coming at the problem is because of the public interest. So a lot of people think that, okay, we have to haggle with them, negotiate with them. But in reality, we see what they are coming to and the, the point they are making is to the benefit of the public. So we, we are very aligned with them on that because our intention is also to build a project that we want to be proud of down the road. Uh, the, the, you're making such a good point, Hamid. Like, as developers, we're contributing to the transformation of the morphology of our urban space. Like, we're, and I mean, in our humble and, and, and small capacity, but, and, and the thing is, we are part of the community. So, we never want to do things against the community. So, every single one of our projects is always a project in which the first point of verification is, is this something that the community is interested in? So we do that by talking to neighbors. We do that by talking to the municipalities uh, on what they perceive the needs are of the community right now. I also have to say that a lot of people complain about all the kind of pushback you get on your designs from the municipalities and the constraints and et cetera. And I have to admit, it's frustrating to have to redo things over and over until the municipality is happy. And I do think there are probably ways that it could be done better, but I think everybody's doing really their best. I mean, there's challenges all over the place. And, you know, considering all of that, I, I think municipalities are doing a pretty good job. I mean, but um, a reality is all those changes that we look at, all those challenges that they create for us in terms of the massing of our projects or, 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 or you know, most of them make our projects better eventually. They make them nicer. Like those are people that spend their time thinking about what's going to make for a nice city. And, you know, I work in about, I worked in about 20 countries and I can tell you, I've seen firsthand what happens when you don't have that process in place. You got chaos, basically. You, 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 no particular logic. The only thing that ends up driving how, what this, a city looks like is profit. And I think we're very fortunate to live in an environment where, you know, that's not the case. Uh, even though it comes with, you know, a, an impact on affordability, definitely, because timelines to go through that process are very long. And it comes with uncertainty. It comes with risk. It comes with a number of things. But, you know, I think we, we know why we like living in Canada. And and uh, and even though we don't think about the administrative processes as being part of that, in reality, that's one of the things that makes this a really great place to live in so i wonder what one of the countries were that was maybe the the biggest chaotic mess i grew up in Kelowna, and and that was like one of my growing up there one of my first sort of understandings about real estate development was Kelowna was apparently how you're not supposed to do it how you're supposed to uh um i think the highway orphaned the the downtown from kind of the rest of the city and then the highway led to, you know, just one strip mall after another, kind of just spreading out this sprawling mess leading to a, and the Orchard Park Mall and, and eventually a few other things. But but never any density and never organized in a thoughtful way. And, you know, growing up in that environment, you know, made a big impression. It was something to think about. Um, what's another example of another city or a country that's... So I, I will definitely not single out a country or... Uh, a city for 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 doing uh, things in a, in a bad way. However, again, like, you know, the same reasons always produce the same you know the same consequences and the same effects. If uh, the political environment is based on personal interest and uh, cynicism, then you know you'll have that kind of situation where things are not uh, done in the interest of the public. I remember, you know, one of the scary part of a development process, of any development process here, is the public hearing at a municipality. And having worked in many other countries, I, I was moved to tears the first time I went to a council meeting here in Canada. Because that's the closest you'll ever get to true democracy. People being able to come and say, in a respectful way, of course, but say whatever they have on their mind. And elected officials listening to them before making a decision, I can tell you there's not 
that many places where that happens. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a true blessing, you know, to, to live in an environment where you have that. And, and you only realize it when you don't have it, I think. Um, so, yeah. That's nice. It's a nice way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I think you're the nicest developers ever. <laughs> An industry dominated sometimes by uh, megabucks and bullies and, and um, you know, huge family empire businesses. Uh, it's so refreshing to hear your point of view on things, even the, the you know, the town hall meeting and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have to say, and we talk about it all the time. We have, we have lots of respect and we're not trying just to be nice for the sake of being nice, but uh, um, Vancouver is one of those places in the world that creates top-notch developers. And, um, you know, we're kind of the younger company uh, in the mix, but we have a lot of uh, people with tremendous experience to look up to here and uh, who are so good that they're even more successful when they when they go outside, you know, like, so, like look at the big developers, what the big developers from Vancouver are doing in the U.S. Now, I think Hamid, one of the things Hamid said about that is it's so difficult to be a developer in Vancouver <laughs> that uh, basically it's like, you know, living with 2G gravity and then coming on Earth and then you like here, you just have super, <laughs> you, you have superpowers. Uh, so I, I feel, I feel that's the case, but, you know, knowing what it takes to um, bring about some of these large uh, complex projects. Um, you know, it doesn't happen unless there's a great number of values of, um, of, and of virtues such as, you know, steadfastness, persistence, caution, patience, but also, you know, fairness and, and things like that. Because you're not in business for decades unless you assemble quite a few of those values. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 humbled to be in 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 this uh, in 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 the company of uh, of all those uh, successful uh, you know companies here. I've heard that about our market here about how sophisticated the development market is, and and also proud to have um, you know be a part of it in a small way. And uh, I was in Venice Beach last week and um, walking down the street with some friends and and looking at a lot of development that didn't make any sense, you know like brand new construction, just one story commercial construction in a, in a dense area, like on a busy street where it would have made to me a lot more sense to put some office or some resi above it and, and all that kind of thing. And an environment down there, which is quite developer friendly, as you mentioned, our, our development climate here is, uh, you know, the governing bodies are very thoughtful, very careful. And, uh, in the U S it's a lot easier. I'm so proud when I see our, local companies go down there and just have, you know, fantastic success. Mm-hmm. I think it partly because you grow up in Canada, um, thinking about the U S as the, the master, you know, the big brother, the daddy. And, um, I like seeing some Canadians kicking butt down there, frankly, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of things to be proud of uh, as a Canadian. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys do in your spare time when you're not, uh, you know, making homes for people, uh, what do you do? I'll let you start. Well, I have uh, two little kids. Uh, How old? Ar- Aryan is six and a half. Uh, Alina is three. So I spend time with my wife, Mariam, and my, my kids. My, my parents are here as well. So we have a little family going on. Um, I do sports. Uh, I hang out with friends on Saturday nights. That's pretty much <laughs> read books. Uh, nice. I think Adele has uh, way more going on. What part of town do you live in, Hamid? I live on the North Shore in West Vancouver. Oh yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, I, I I think he's as usual being very humble. But uh, yeah, Hamid spends a lot of his time. If you know, I, I I may add a little bit to that. Hamid is an amazing friend to have, and he's helping people all the time. I like there's not one week that goes by that he doesn't spend three, four, or five hours volunteering his time, helping. Uh, Newcomers to Canada settle, find a job, helping uh, people uh, start up their business, providing with advice, connecting people. You know, it's and you know, I admire what you do a lot, Amid. Yeah, same as Amid, young kids. So that that takes up quite a bit of time, and I'm very grateful for that. 
Um, we live in North Vancouver with my wife and my two daughters. Um, I uh, exercise, you know, I try to, I try to exercise three times a week. Um, and um, we had an indoor soccer, like weekly meeting going for about what midlife three years yeah yeah we called it the midlife crisis soccer group <laughs> we were we were all above 40 um since then i think we lost about half of um our um, team members uh through uh, injuries and etc and and we had to basically rejuvenate the team so we have quite a few people now under 30 and we hope to get that started again uh this year we just in my community started a um group uh, acquire uh, about a month ago. So we meet weekly and we're devoted to singing spiritual musics from all tradition, Sufis and, you know, from all religion and non, like as, as long as it's spiritual and connects us, you know, to something bigger than ourselves, uh, no matter from, from what background it is. So that, that's something um, that gives me a lot of, uh, a lot of joy. And it's again, something where you can actually mix social life with professional life. I have some people I do business with that join us with family life. My wife and my kids are part of that. And so I've been volunteering in the field of mental health for the last, uh, what is it, four years, uh, four or five years. I'm, I, I, um, I, I teach a course uh, once or twice a year um, for families that have a member dealing with uh, severe mental illness. By the way, whoever listens to this, please look up the website. Uh, the nonprofit organization I've been volunteering with is Pathways, pathwaysseriousmentalillness.org. Um, donate if you can. They're saving lives every year, uh, literally helping thousands of people. Uh, we teach about, uh, we, we do a number of things. So the organization, I'm just a small part of the organization, but the organization uh, works a lot against uh, stigma of mental health. And so they give talks in uh, high schools and uh, in universities. We gave a few talks at UBC to convey the reality of what it is to uh, live with someone who has a severe mental illness. We have workshops, uh, eight-week workshops um, that I co-teach uh, for uh, people who have a family member with a serious mental illness. So we provide them with knowledge. We empower them to um, cope better with the situation. We help them with information both about the science and about the psychology, communication skills, emergency preparedness, and uh, and, and things like that. And that's been incredibly gratifying because um, it um, allows me to meet every year about 15 to 30 real-life heroes people you know that get me to witness the most beautiful thing about us humans which is how incredibly resilient we are in the face of the worst adversity and how despite extreme difficulty people are still out of love able to uh, overcome to learn to grow to heal uh, and to help others um, and so, yeah, so that, that's, that's uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to do more uh, with the society, but, you know, hopefully in, you know, in a few years, I'll, I'll, I hope I can make a bit more time, but um, yeah. You're obviously very passionate about it. How, how did you get involved originally? I have a family member. Uh, personal experience. Personal experience. So I took the course uh, in 2015 and it was, uh, game, it was changer. game changer. Game it was changer. a game changer for yeah. me. It opened my eyes. I then joined the board uh, for a couple of years and uh, and uh, and then wanted to be closer to operations and to where the action is. Took the training to uh, to be a, to be a teacher of um, so this is a, it's a course that's been created by NAMI, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness in the United States, and uh, so they've developed this course. They have decades of experience uh, in dealing with that, with those situations. And um, uh, Pathways is providing that course all over the Lower Mainland every year, twice, once in the spring and uh, once uh, once in the fall. So anyway, it's a lifesaver. It's, it's a lifesaver and, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a life changer. Like we have people that come that are in an utter state of 
of despair who are lost, who are in crisis, who don't know what to do uh, when they have a, a son or a daughter or a father or a mother or a husband, you know, with schizophrenia or with bipolar disorder. And we help them try to make sense, get out of that crisis situation and uh, learn to cope, learn to um, feel a bit more empowered and to do the best they can with the situation they have. Yeah. And it's it's changed my relationship with my family member uh, significantly. I mean, it's really day and night. Yeah. So I know it's a whole course, but thinking back to 2015, do you remember an epiphany you had or something that you learned in the, in that course or that you heard that made you just see everything differently? Yes. And, and that, by the way, I mean, we're here in the downtown East side and uh, I, I now, thanks to that course, uh, see that every time I, you know, see some, some of the people here in the street, which is that people with a severe mental illness are the most unsung heroes you can imagine in our society. Uh, the mere fact that they're still alive is a testimony to their fortitude, um, to their courage. And, uh, and so I, yeah, that epiphany was a moment where I cried a lot because I went from a judgmental mind of why can't, you know, that person just you know, do this or get her act together to actually understanding really what that person is going through and understanding that, uh, that that person is a hero and that the least I can do is acknowledge uh, the courage that they have just to stay alive despite extreme suffering. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a great moment of it. And it, it changed, it, it changed, yeah, it, it really changed my life. You know, I initially the the feeling was a feeling of guilt of oh my god, I've been wrong for so many years. Um, but then eventually you do something about it, uh, and and when you and 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 there's, there's no like there's, there's very few things that give you more satisfaction than feeling that you can make even a small impact. You know, in the life of uh, in the life of others. Yeah, sounds like amazing work. I mean, amazing organization pathways. I've heard of it, but um, I've honestly never heard of someone speak so passionately about it as you have from your personal experience and, and the experience you've had as a as one of their teachers and sharing that experience you had back in 2015 with other people. It's amazing work. Yeah. Back to First and Royal. Um, <laughs> how did you decide on that location? First and Royal started in 2016, as usual. Hamid is always the one who sees something that has great potential. Something kept, others don't see. Exactly. He said, I think, I think this is a good site. Great views next to parks, seven minute walking distance, you know, from, uh, from the SkyTrain, right next to a almost brand new elementary school. And he said, we should, we should do, but he said, but, but it has a heritage home and it's one of the, one of the few remaining pre-great fire homes in New Westminster. Um, I think in 1890, uh, a huge fire destroyed most of the city. And this is one of the houses that survived. And so we said, well, heritage revitalization, is that going to be complicated? You know, like, do we really want to get into this? And, and as I mentioned earlier, like as usual, when we have decisions like that to make, we just go back to our values and we thought, like we want to create healthy, happy communities and heritage homes are things that connect us to our past, that root us, that, that give our cities some soul. And, um, and being part of that kind of adventure, you know, I think that's definitely something that, you know, that we want for Arriva Living. And so we started analyzing that, found an amazing heritage uh, consultant, uh, Ilana Sisblatt. Oh, hi, Elena. We're so happy to have you on the team. Who had worked for years in the U.S. Who has wealth of experience. She's smart, strategic, and and an expert when it comes to uh, heritage uh, conservation and rehabilitation. And uh, and the more we looked into it, uh, the more we the more we liked it. It was going to be a smaller project, and what happened was going to be about half the size it has right now. And here again, as I mentioned earlier. We listened to the community and um, we had a meeting um, with uh, one of the panels of the city. 
And one of the members of the panel, uh, one of the counselors, says, wouldn't it be nice if someone were able actually to assemble the whole block? Because then we could really transform puzzle. Like, like right now, it's a site that has really old houses, dilapidated. When the houses get beyond their lifetime, owners really don't want to put money into a house that needs you know, to be replaced anyway. And so, yeah, and they said, wouldn't it be nice, you know, if someone actually tried to, you know, take the three or four houses next to your site and, you know, but you know, really not asking us for anything. Uh, but, you know, we said, okay, well, this is something that, you know, that makes sense and that the community or their representatives are asking for. It weren't demanding it. It was just an idea. And we did think that it was an opportunity to create a fantastic environment, you know, in the entire block. The block already has three beautiful heritage homes. We would add not a fourth to that and create basically a beautiful heritage lane on First Street uh, by repositioning the house and have the four heritage houses next to each other. We could have some coherent planting. A lot of the trees that are on site right now are either deceased or have been pruned really badly. We could have some really well-thought landscaping. A larger project affords so many more public amenities. So we're creating a, two new multi-use pathways, which I can tell you, Hub, which is the cycling organization in New Westminster, was so, is so happy, so happy about this because it's kind of a strategic link that they kind of almost has lo lost hope, you know, would, would ever happen in the master active transportation plan of New Westminster. So the size of the project suddenly afforded us to afforded to create, you know, this this new multi-use pathway with all the landscaping and the trees that that, that like the urban forest environment that comes with it. Uh, another one along uh, Royal Avenue, multi-use pathway as well. So very cycling friendly environment uh, connecting to the existing grid uh, already. And the rest is uh, the rest is history. So we started working on it, and uh, it came along with our architect uh, Peter Hildebrand, a great guy to work with as well, with lots of smart ideas about how we could approach things. And uh, and then then came the time, you know, to work on well, what do we want the experience to be in the building, right? And here, going back to our mantra of creating happy communities. Uh, and and um, we thought there's a number of things happening right now. People, affordability is a big issue. So the approach was, let's to make units that will be a little bit smaller, super functional. We're, we're very proud of our layouts. Uh, like most, like all of our projects have layouts on which we spend hundreds of hours. Like we always want to go the extra mile on the quality of the layouts. So when you have a really efficient layout, you can make it, you can make the unit a little bit smaller, which makes it more affordable, but then you want to compensate with great amenities for people basically, you know, to be able to go take a breather and socialize and have spaces where they can socialize with friends. So we're creating probably one of the most spectacular rooftop deck, you know, in New Westminster on that project. We're having two theaters, one indoor, one outdoor. We created on every floor, and that, that's something we're very happy about. Every floor has a breakout space, a co-working space. So cool. So if you're at home, and we know how it is sometimes, you know, uh, things get loud and noisy and, and busy, you know, at home, your kids are playing, et cetera, and, and you have some work to do. You want to be able to work from home. You may not be able to do it, you know, in, in your you know, either in your one bedroom because you want a bit more space or you feel better if you can work with other people around or you're in your three bedroom or in your townhome and you just want to get out and have some quiet time. And so every floor has a space that's dedicated to co-working and it's a free amenity that people can use whenever they feel like. There will be workstations, plus obviously the usual features, a nice fitness center, dance studio, yoga studio, a party room, and, and another outdoor amenity, plus the multi-use pathway, which itself is an outdoor amenity. And uh, so, yeah, that's re and, and then we add to that the proximity to, to about three big parks, including Queens Park, plus like the neighbor of the project, and that's fantastic, is a soccer field. So, you know, you'll have unobstructed views, you know, and, and really room to breathe. So that, that that's kind of the thinking that went into that. And then if we go more into 
kind of the details of the interior design. We look at things that are practical, that, that we like in our homes as well. We like French doors on the fridge. It's, you know, so much nicer. It's so much easier to organize stuff in your fridge. We, even for small units where you know, sometimes it's not really feasible. We made sure that we could place an island, a kitchen island in all, in all the units and just like being very practical. Another thing we're doing, and this is part of the environmental approach uh, to the project is all our heaters. Like I, I know that in like where I live, uh, probably the biggest draw on energy is our dryer. Right. And when you have kids, your dryer is on like three times a day. It's I, 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 I think until you have kids, you cannot imagine how much laundry you have to do uh, when you're a family. So that's a lot of energy. That's that's a lot of potential greenhouse gas emissions. And so we are we're one of the few projects that introduced a heat pump dryer, uh, which is also ventless. Uh, means it goes directly, water goes to the humidity, water goes directly to the drain. The heat pump makes it super efficient, like you consume a fraction of the energy that you have with a normal dryer. And then because you don't have that duct, you know, that, that has to go through your unit to the outer facade, you don't have those extra bulkheads that people, a lot of people discover only once they bought the unit. Oh, bulkhead here, bulkhead here, column there. Like we try to, that's another thing we do. We, we want to be super honest with our buyers when it comes to the reality of what they're buying. We don't cheat on on the sizes of the beds in the market. Like I always make sure I ask, is this a standard queen bed? Is this the standard king bed? We don't cheat with the sizes of that. We try to show where the bulkheads are. We try to show where the columns are. Now, we don't get all of that 100% of the time because in construction, you know, as you're building, sometimes, you know, you find out, okay, well, we'll have to change this a little bit or that a little bit, but we try to be very upfront and everything that we know of, you know, is shared transparently and we will not let something happen that people would say, hey, this is really not, you know, what I was expecting. So I believe you. <laughs> I mean, you're either the best salesperson I've ever met or everything <laughs> you said is completely true. And I think it's the latter. Well, you know, people will, um, um, we, we want people to hold us accountable, you know, on, on those values, because yeah. that's, that's all that, that's what Ariva uh, living is about. And, uh, if we can't, um, I think if we can't deliver on those values, then we don't deserve really to be in this market. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing to hear that school and right next door must've been a, a huge positive, right? I mean, the, the impact on a young family or imagine a single parent like the, the, their, their, their elementary aged child could, you know, just safely walk such a short distance and get themselves to and from school on their own. That'd be just a game changer for them. Yeah. That's amazing. And it was, it was built, I think, I think just a few years ago. So it's some of the most modern school infrastructure you have in BC. So that's, that's really nice. Totally. And, and new West is getting a brand new secondary school as well, which is I think under construction right now. So, uh, which is, I think the largest in BC, uh, so th those are, those are great assets for like new West is changing fast. And, I agree. Uh, yeah. There's a lot happening. Very exciting. So th that was part also, I think of our decision. Like we, we could sense that, that there was a lot of positive change happening. A lot of potential downtown new West has improved tremendously. Uh, this is a city that has had some really good leadership from a, you know, urban development point of view and some very careful and smart choices of where to put density. You know, it's also a city that has what four, five SkyTrain stations, right? Uh, four, four, four SkyTrain stations. So that that that's amazing. Uh, yeah, no. So lots of good things happening. There's a lot of cranes in the air. Lots of cranes in the air. Yeah. And I personally like it. I love the old buildings. You know, it used to be the capital of BC at one point. It's got so much, so much history. We're in Gastown today because I, I love the old buildings and I love the, the feeling that you get, the texture. Um, it's awesome. And New West has all of that. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a city that's, um, I, I think, has a lot of soul and uh, and also that has recently been attractive, uh, attractive to, you know, very creative entrepreneurial crowd. And, um, you know, that that led us actually to think so. First and Royal is very family oriented. Uh, you get a school, you get almost half of the units that are, you know, two bedrooms and up. We're looking at that other crowd, people who are early in life and um, 
who are very versed in the new technologies, who are internet entrepreneurs and 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 um, and creators, and um, and so we're 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 preparing a, a project in New Westminster for for that crowd. So like, stay we'll, tuned. We'll talk exactly. Stay tuned. We'll <laughs> talk about that more another time. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I want to learn more about that one too. That sounds very interesting. Thank you guys so much for spending the time today. I mean, it's uh, part of our work together on your upcoming project. It's going to be a huge success. And uh, I'm just so grateful to be working with you. You are two of the, of the kindest and most thoughtful uh, developers that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. And thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for hosting us. My pleasure. Thank you.